When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Hauser, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. If you ask me, we are just entering the most magical time of year. The light is getting brighter and warmer every day, and life itself is returning to the world. I feel it in the morning breeze that stirs my curtains as I get up and open the windows to the new day. I feel it in the forest, walking among the trees that seem to be brimming with energy, working its way from deep within the earth, through the sturdy trunks into the slender branches, before finally gathering in the buds. Those buds are on the cusp of bursting into leaves, making the forest drip with the most delicious, juiciest of greens. I feel it in the noontime sun, gently kissing the tip of my nose as I step onto my balcony during my lunch break to bask in the light beaming from an impeccable blue sky, making me want to join my voice with the birds, praising the return of life and the promise of warmth. The most enchanting thing about the days of spring awakening, however, are the snowdrops. Modest as they may seem, they are the symbol of hope in the Victorian language of flowers, but not only that. Those graceful little flowers are said to have generously shared their color with snow itself, lending him some of their pearly white. The story tells us that snow, filled with gratitude that he finally had a color, granted the snowdrops to be the first to drink in the sunlight after spending the long winter days buried deep within the earth and thus being the first to announce the return of spring. So I have always known that they were enchanting flowers, but it wasn't until a little while ago that I truly experienced their magic. The first teller for this episode is Jennifer Armstrong. Based in Maine, Jennifer has spent her life writing, singing and making music with various instruments and words. She is a storyteller, singer, instrumentalist, poet and published author, and hosts an annual festival called Pie and Story Festival. That sounds like an event I'd love to attend. She has been a featured teller at the National Storytelling Festival several times, and on this episode, Jennifer shares the story of Fishwife and Changeling. On the west coast of Scotland, a long time ago, back in the days when magic still ran deep in the earth, there lived a young fishwife. Oh, none had fingers more nimble than she for untangling the long fish line. None quicker at finding the banks of mussels to use for bait. But her husband didn't love her for her quickness or her cleverness. He loved her for the song in her heart, 
and her singing sent him out cheerful each morning and drew him home again each night. And so they lived happily for a year and a day, and the fishwife gave birth to a bonny baby boy. Oh, he was round and rosy and laughing. The fishwife wove a basket, a small creel, to carry him with her on her back everywhere she went. And one day, as she was down at the shore gathering mussels for bait, she'd laid the baby in his creel up on the sand, where he was laughing at the gulls, grabbing at the sunbeams with his chubby hands. And the wise woman from the village came walking by, and when she saw the baby on the sand and the mother down at the shore, she spoke up sharply. Foolish one, turning your back on your baby. Why, the good people, the fairy folk, they'll do you mischief for sure. The fishwife turned with a laugh. Now why would the good people do me mischief when I have harmed neither hair of their head nor sole of their foot? And she turned back to her work, leaving the wise woman to go on muttering darkly to herself. When the fishwife had finished her work, she came to pick up her baby to head for home. And to her surprise, he began to cry wildly. This wasn't like him. Why, he must be that hungry, she thought. She hurried home. But the more she rocked him and the more she fed him, the more he cried. What could be the matter? She tried singing to him. This always made him laugh. But no, he only cried harder. Look at him, she said. Just look at him. And as she spoke thus, it was as if she saw the baby for the first time. She saw his red wizened face, his jet black hair, and his long pointy ears. No babe of mine ever had ears like this, said the fishwife. The wise woman was right. The fairy folk have done me terrible mischief. They've taken my baby and put this changeling in his place. Well, the fishwife didn't let on that anything was the matter. She continued to nurse and rock the changeling, waiting for her husband to come home. When he came in, she said, Husband, I'm going to see a friend in town. The baby's been fed, and he should sleep for you. Well, the fisherman took one look at the changeling, and he could see what had happened. Aye, wife, he said, go see your friend. It's a busy day you've had here, I can see. Well, the fishwife, she hurried up to the wise woman's house. And scarcely had she raised her hand to knock at the door, when it flew open. And the wise woman said, Many a sunshiny day turns into a dark night for those that don't listen. Aye, said the fishwife, and sorry I am now that I didn't listen to you sooner. But tell me, please, how I can get my own babe back again. 
You must get the changeling to admit he is what he is, said the wise woman. And so she spoke, and the fishwife listened. As the fishwife hurried home again, she gathered sea thrift from along the coastline, the wild purple flowers that grow. And when she came home, she said, Husband, I'll tend to this. You go see to your nets. Well, he nodded, took his pipe, and headed out into the night. The fishwife sat down by the fire and drew her sewing basket onto her lap. She reached in and took out a long length of thread and a bent pin. She attached the pin to the thread and a sea thrift to the pin. The changeling's roaring settled down to a whimper, and he watched her from the cradle. The fishwife drew out from the basket another long length of thread, another bent pin, and attached another sea thrift. The changeling sat up in the cradle and watched in silence. For the third time, the fishwife reached into the basket, drew out a long thread, attached a bent pin, and another sea thrift. And the changeling spoke. Old am I, older than the rocks and the seven seas, and never have I seen a fishwife use bent pins for fish hooks and flowers for bait. Old as the rocks and the seven seas are you, said the fishwife, then you're no babe of mine, and back to the rocks and the seven seas you can go. Well, she grabbed the changeling from the cradle and went running down to the sea with him looking for all the world as though she would fling the baby into the water. But as she came down to the sand, the changeling's fairy mother was there, crying out, Give me back mine. I'll give your babe back to you. And there was the fishwife's babe, round and rosy and laughing. Well, the fishwife grabbed him back, but held on to the changeling as well. And why would you do me such mischief, she asked, when I have harmed neither hair of your head nor sole of your foot. Well, said the fairy mother, I wanted my son to learn to laugh as your son does. Is that the way of it, said the fishwife. Well then, two babes are as easy to tend as one. Leave your son with me for seven years, and we'll see what can be done. Well, the fairy mother nodded and disappeared. So now the fishwife had two babes to tend, and carried them with her everywhere she went, and they were a sight to see, the one so fair and the other so dark. And she sang to them and bounced them on her knee, and in time the changeling learned to smile and laugh as any child. And the fisherman came home at night to the sound of his wife singing and two babes laughing. Kaira naira naira nero Kaira naira naira nero Kaira naira naira nela loran Kaira naira naira And so seven years passed, and the fairy mother appeared on the doorstep. Not one word of thanks had she for all the fishwife's love and care. Oh, no. She spoke right out. Well, 
My son has learned to laugh, but he's only half the size of your son. I want my son to learn to grow. Is that the way of it, said the fishwife. Well, two boys are as easy to care for as one. Leave your son with me for another seven years, and we'll see what can be done. Well, the fairy mother nodded and disappeared. Now the fishwife cooked extra biscuits, more cakes, fed the changeling more porridge each morning. And in time, he did begin to grow like any child. And he tumbled about the house with his brother, and it was a pleasure to see the two of them, the one so fair and the other so dark. And each evening, the fisherman came home to two young boys growing up and the sound of his wife singing. At the end of the second seven years, the fairy mother appeared on the doorstep, and not one word of thanks had she for all the fishwife's love and care. Oh, no. She spoke right out. Well, my son has learned to laugh and has learned to grow, but now I want him to learn to fish like a man. Is that the way of it, said the fishwife. Well, my husband can teach two young men to fish as easy as one. Leave him with us for another seven years, and we'll see what can be done. And the fairy mother nodded and disappeared. Now each morning the fishwife baited two extra lines, one for her son and one for her changeling son. And they went out with the fishermen on to the sea, where he taught them to read the winds and navigate by the stars, and where in every season to find the silver fish. And the changeling learned quickly why fairy blood ran in his veins, and he caught twice as many fish as his father and brother put together, and it was a time of plenty. They had enough for their own table, enough to sell in the market, and enough to take around to all the old folk in the village, worn out from wrestling a living from the sea. And each evening, the fishwife singing drew all three home from the sea. On the last day of the third seven years, as the fisherman and his two sons were out at sea, a great storm rose up. The wind tore at the sails and the waves lashed at the boat. As they struggled to make it home to shore, a fairy ship drew alongside of them 
and the changeling's fairy mother spoke. Come with me, my son. We are leaving this land where our magic grows weak. We are sailing to the Isle of Youth where we will feast and we will dance. Come with me, my son. And the changeling spoke, saying, And what of my father and my brother? Well, they must stay here and be drowned. They are only mortal. And what of my mother waiting for us on the shore? Well, she must weep, for that is the way of mortals. The changeling turned his back on the fairy ship, saying, What use have I for feasting and dancing if my loved ones are drowned and weeping? And his fairy mother called out, You mean to say you choose to leave behind your magic? You choose to stay here and be mortal and to die like a man? No, cried the changeling. I choose to live here and fight like a man. And turning to his father and brother, he called out, Row! Row! Can't you hear our mother singing us home from shore? And so they bent their backs to their oars and rowed as they never had before, leaving the fairy ship far behind in the distance. And always the fishwife's voice rose above the roaring of the storm, and they rowed and rowed to the sound of her singing. they came safely to shore, and the fishwife fell upon them with glad tears. She kissed her husband, she kissed her son, and when she turned to kiss her changeling son, she stopped, for she saw a strange peace in his eyes. And then she kissed him three times. The first kiss for the first seven years, when he learned to laugh, and the second kiss for the second seven years, when he learned to grow. And the third kiss, ah, the third kiss for the last seven years, when he chose a life of hardship on the open sea with father and brother, over a life of feasting and dancing on the Isle of Youth. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Classy Cloaks by Red Riding Hood. Crappy clothes are so yesteryear. Spice up any outfit, be it a ball gown, riding dress or 
household frock with a classic cloak by Red Riding Hood. Made from the most luxurious fabrics, from organic wolfskin to gossamer spiderweb, those cloaks will complement any style in whatever way you desire. They will draw gazes, turn heads, protect you 150% from spells of rain and magic, or even make you invisible. Custom designs are available upon request. Just drop us a line with a description or even a sketch of your dream cloak at wrapmeup at cc-rr.ef and our elves will be on it right away. Check out our current collection online or come browse the latest arrivals in our shop at Grandmother's Cottage. All visits include a complimentary wine tasting and a piece of homemade cake. Classy cloaks by Red Riding Hood. Fabulous fashion straight from the most exquisite pathways in the enchanted forest. This episode is also brought to you by new Winged Sandals patron supporters Essie and Mary. And like all other patrons of the podcast, they have a magical power. Essie can write music to the rhythm of any heartbeat she hears, and Mary can put people's deepest, funniest, most loving thoughts into the most touching lyrics. Put the two of them together, and you have the most phenomenal music you could possibly imagine. Not only are they the most extraordinary musicians, but also generous supporters of the arts. And from now on, on top of all of the other rewards, they are now proud members of the Fairy Tale Book Club. This means that they will receive four gently used folk or fairy tale books in their mailbox throughout the year, making sure that they always have a reliable supply of story magic in their house. Thank you so much, Essie and Mary. We are delighted to have you on board. Would you like to become a member of the Fairy Tale Book Club or check out the other rewards? Simply go to patreon.com forward slash story story podcast or story story podcast.com and discover all the goodies that are just waiting to bring a little fairy tale enchantment to your life. Thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. You are the sweet scent of spring in our crisp morning breeze. It happened a few days ago on my daily walk. It was too chilly still to put on my springtime coat, but warm enough to have my winter jacket unzipped as I headed for the forest. Walking in the bright glow of the setting sun truly felt like stretching after a long hibernation, and I was striding at a brisk pace along the edge of the forest when a faint, sweet melody like a lullaby caught my ear. I stopped and looked about. There was no one around. I followed the sound of the music and it led me to a bush. I stooped, half expecting to find a gnome or a fairy flitting about. But no, what I saw was a patch of snowdrops. And didn't the sound of the music emerge from some of those pure white blossoms while others seemed to sway ever so gently to the music and others still lightly bobbed their heads to the rhythm. Fascinated, I watched and listened and my eyes grew wide when a tender green tip emerged from the ground slowly, ever so slowly, 
growing towards the source of the music. It stretched and grew and expanded, unfolding its two slender leaves and finally releasing the pristine white bud of the blossom. For the duration of a heartbeat, the music stopped, and with the slightest the petals opened. Then the music continued, and I watched mesmerized as it coaxed another green tip from the ground. It stretched and grew and expanded, unfolded the leaves, released the bud and plopped open. And another, and another. It wasn't until the sun had sunk into the horizon that the snowdrops gave communal and the forest grew silent. As I walked back to my house, I wondered what the music of the other flowers sounds like. Perhaps daffodils waltz into life and perhaps primroses cha-cha? As spring progresses, I sure hope to find out. And if you do, please let me know. The second teller for this episode is True Thomas. He is a true believer in the power of story and, you guessed it, his name really is based on the Scottish prophet and poet. True Thomas is not only a storyteller who has performed in a wide variety of places, from campfires to battlefields, but also a teacher of the art of storytelling. This time, he takes us to the northern edge of Europe with the Norse myth of how Thor lost his hammer. Thor woke up. He reached. He reached for the one thing he loved most in the universe. Was it his beautiful wife Sif with the golden hair? No. Was it for his sons Magni and Modi? No. Was it for a horn of mead? Well, perhaps. But usually when he woke up, the first thing that he reached for was his magical hammer Mjolnir, the hammer that brought the thunder and the lightning. He reached for it, but it wasn't there. He felt around the bed. He felt around underneath the bed. He got up and scratched himself. He wandered around the house. He went into the bathroom. And he looked inside the bathroom, and it wasn't there. Now, the thing you need to know about Mjolnir is if you leave it somewhere, it stays there. No one else can move that hammer. In fact, one of his favorite party tricks was to take the hammer and leave it in a bowl of guacamole and then walk away. He would come back two weeks later and it would still be in that bowl of guacamole. He thought this was hilarious. Nobody else did. Thor wandered around the house and could not find his hammer. Now, it just so happens that around Asgard, there's a great wall. And on that wall, the gods keep watch. Because giants attack. Giants and trolls and other things attack all the time. And the gods were up there on the wall. Uller with his bow. Frey with his sun sword. They were all up there fighting, and the giants were getting a little intense. And so they said, hey, could you go and find Thor? And so they sent somebody. And Thor was in his house looking around, and somebody walked in and said, um, excuse me, sir, but we could really use you up on the walls if you could do a little of that whole giant smiting thing. Um, well, um, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I can't find my hammer. What? 
I can't find my hammer. Um, that's a problem. The runner ran back. And a few minutes later, all the important gods gathered together in a group, and they all started to look, and none of them could find the hammer. They gathered together in a group afterwards and said, we've got to find the hammer. And they all looked at each other. This is very dangerous. If we don't find that hammer, sooner or later we'll get too tired, and Asgard will fall. They looked at each other and said, where's Loki? And Loki just happened to be wandering by. They grabbed him and dragged him into the meeting. Loki, what have you done with Thor's hammer? Why do you always blame me? And they looked at him with raised eyebrows. Really? Come on, Loki. You are the chief of goofy-doing and trickifying. You are always out there causing problems and getting into mischief. You are on a first-name basis with all the scum and villainy in the universe. Whose giant wolf-like son is going to eat us all at the end of times at Ragnarok? Well, that would be mine, Fenris. And whose son is it that circles the world as a giant serpent, the Midgard serpent, Jorgenmunder? Well, yeah, that would be mine. And whose daughter, who's half beautiful and half ew, down there in Niflheim, named Hela, has a plate called starvation and a knife called hunger? Who, Whose daughter would that be? Mine. So, if we're a little suspicious, do you blame us? No, no, that's, yeah, that's that's probably right enough. But to be honest with you, if this were mine, I would tell you. You can't steal the hammer. Nobody can move it. Well, Loki, we're asking a favor. Would you go out and look and see if you can find the hammer? If anyone can, you can. And Loki smiled, and he looked at the assembled gods and said, Sure. But to do this, I'll need Freya's beautiful falcon cloak, because that will allow me to travel faster than anything else while still being able to see. And Freya looked at him and said, If you insist, take good care of it. And she handed it over, and he put it on, and he said, I make this look good. He turned into a falcon and flew out of Asgard. He flew through all the realms, he flew through Gimli, the high heavens. He flew through Elfheim, and then Svarthelfheim, the light and dark elves. He flew down through Niflheim, waved high to his daughter. He flew through Muspelheim, where there was the great fire demon, Surtur. He flew until finally he came to Jotunheim, and in Jotunheim he saw glaciers and rivers of snow and ice and cold. It didn't bother him much. He had a little giantish in him anyway. And as he flew, what did he see but a huge, huge, ancient ice giant sitting on the side of a glacier, playing with his cows, which were about the size of his hand. You know, if you squeeze them, you get haagen Well, he landed next to him. <laughs> Hello, great big giant ice giant. You're Thrym, aren't you? I am. And you must be Loki. What are you doing flying around you and him? Oh, I don't know. Just looking around. Why are you sitting outside playing with your semi-frozen cows? Oh, I don't know. Are you looking for something in particular, Loki? I am. Oh, 
I wonder what you're looking for. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the moo, moo, moo. And Loki smiled at him with a clever smile. And the giant looked down and smiled with an equally clever smile. And he said, are you looking for a hammer? And Loki smiled and he said, and if I were, what would you want in return for it? And the giant said, well, I hear there is a beautiful goddess named Freya. Everybody talks about how beautiful she is. I would like to marry the beautiful Freya. Loki looked up at him with his eyes wide. Are you sure about this? Are you talking about Freya, the battle goddess, the one who rides around with an iron cart pulled by giant gray cats, the one who wields a spear in combat, the one who has a hall just as important as Valhalla, full of her own warriors, the one who has a beautiful necklace named Brisingam that shoots rays and destroys people? You want to marry her? And the great big giant shrugged and said, what can I say? I'm a romantic. Right. Okay, big guy. You give us the hammer, you marry Freya. Got it. I'll go check on this. He turned back into a falcon and flew. He flew into the great hall of Asgard, where all the gods were gathered, nervously talking. And when they saw the falcon turn into Loki, he smiled and said, I have found the hammer. And they all yelled, where? Where is it? We need it now. He said, well, there is a slight problem. There's a giant ice giant named Thrym, and he's up there in the hills of Jotunheim, and he has the hammer. And they said, well, what does he want? He wants to marry the beautiful Freya. And everybody turned and looked at Freya. And Freya stood up and put her hand on her hip and said, uh, no. I'm sorry, Thor lost the hammer. He can go and get the hammer. If somebody has to marry the giant, let him marry the giant. And with that, she turned and walked away, as beautiful going away as she had been coming into the room. All the gods looked at each other and said, Oh, no, we're in serious trouble. And then Loki began to laugh. <laughs> oh. And they said, why are you laughing, Loki? Asgard is about to fall. And he said, no, you don't understand. I doubt this giant has ever seen Freya. He has no idea what she looks like. We, For all that matter, we could dress Thor up in a wedding dress. And Thor stood up and said, uh, no, I don't know. I'm not wearing a wedding dress. Not my cup of tea. And he started to walk away. And all the other gods looked at each other and started to laugh. And Loki said, Right, Kvasir, god of mead, I would like you to have a little chat with our friend Thor. Bragi, I would like you, the god of poetry, to go and talk him into it. And the two gods got up and went with him. A few hours later, Thor came back, and he was obviously in a much better mood. Let's do this! Now, it just so happened that there was a goddess of costuming there, and within no time at all, <laughs> she had him in a beautiful wedding dress, made for his enormous size, of course, with two giant turtle brooches. And they took his big red beard, and they stuffed it down into his decolletage, and he had huge tracts of land. And then they put a wedding veil across his face, and Loki said, don't worry, I already have a bridesmaid's dress. Don't judge. And with that, he reached over and said, you ready, big guy? 
and he turned Thor into an acorn. He turned himself into a falcon, and away they flew. Back to Jotunheim, right into the great hall of the ice giants. And when they got into that hall, Loki took off the falcon cloak, making a great entrance, because he always does. Then he turned to Thrym, and he said, Almighty Thrym, I give to you your blushing bride. And he dropped the acorn, and there was Thor in a wedding dress. And all the giants went, ooh. And Thrym came over, and he looked at his blushing bride. And he bent down low, and he looked, at Thor's face, covered by the wedding veil, and he said, Why do my blushing bride's eyes glow like burning red-hot embers? And Loki smiled, and he said, Oh, when Freya found out she was going to be marrying you, she was so delighted, she's been crying herself to sleep at night with happiness. said the giant. Well, now we get married. And he stuck out his hand, spitting into it. And Loki looked at the hand and said, No, 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 no. She is a goddess of the Aesir. You need to treat her a little bit better than that. With that, he said, How about a feast? A little bit of food, perhaps. And the giant smiled and he said, Food we have. Feast! And the giants broke out with a huge banquet of enormous piles of food. And the blushing bride sat down next to Tadim and started to polish off whole sides of beef, drinking whole hogsheads of mead and spitting bones out underneath the table and scaring away the dragons. <coughs> After eating pretty much all the food within the immediate vicinity, Tadim looked down at his blushing bride and he said, um, My blushing bride seems to have a, a hearty appetite. And Loki smiled and he said, Oh yes, she's been starving herself to fit into that wedding dress. Well, the giant said, now I think it is time we get married, right? And Loki said, sure, sure. Why don't you come down here in the center of the room? And the giant stepped over the tables, and Thor walked over next to them, and the two of them were together, and Loki said, now, what we need to bless this wedding is, uh, you know, a little ceremony, something magical, perhaps a potent fertility symbol. And the giant said, you mean like a magical hammer? And Loki smiled and said, why, yes, that would do nicely. Right. Bring the hammer. And 40 of the biggest ice giants marched outside. And they came in with massive chains the size of ships, each link cunningly wrought. And they pulled the hammer. The tiny hammer, by their scale, dug a furrow in the hard marble floor. And the 40 giants chanted, Oreos and milk, Oreos and milk. And they dragged the hammer finally just before the great giant and the blushing bride. And Loki said, all right, now, um, big guy, I want you to reach down here. That's right. Now, I want you to just take your pinky and touch the end of the hammer. Very good. And now the blushing bride, if I could get you to reach down and put your hand on the hammer. And the blushing bride took her delicate hand, even though it was covered with red bristly hair and had big red knuckles, and she reached down and touched the hammer too. Loki smiled and he said, and now I will say some um, proper words like, I'll be outside. And Loki ran outside. And the giant turned and he looked down at his blushing bride 
and his blushing bride reached down and picked up the hammer as light as a feather, and then the hammer started to spin. It started to trail lightning bolts. The bride stood up and ripped the veil off, and there was Thor. His beard sprang out, full of lightning and crackling electricity, and he laughed. And with that, he started to play his very favorite game in all the universe, Whack-A-Giant. And so the hammer began to fly. Boom! 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 And the giants, they said the same thing they always say in this situation. Run away! Run away! Run away! And the giants ran, but it was too late. Boom! Smack! Lightning crash. Loki was standing outside when Thor came outside, his wedding dress now all torn and ragged and stained and smoking. And he looked at Loki and said, That was fun! I want to get married every day! And Loki said, Yes, not today, big guy. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a really important engagement back in Asgard as Asgard is about to fall. I get to smite more giants! Excellent! And with that... Loki reached over and he grabbed Thor by the nape of his wedding dress, and he did not bother to turn him into an acorn this time. Now back in Asgard, the gods were doing their best to fight back all the giants who were attacking in massed numbers. Somebody had obviously tipped them off. Boom, boom, smash, swish, stab, ah, crunch. When up in the sky, what did they see? But a little tiny bird flying as hard as it could, lifting the mighty Thor in a wedding dress, beautiful train following behind him, waving a hammer full of lightning and electricity. And they looked up and they heard... And just then, the hammer began to fly. Boom! 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 Smash! Crash! And the giants said the same thing they always say in this situation. Run away! Run away! And the giants ran away. And Thor landed on the wall of Asgard, laughing. And all the gods looked at him and saw him in a wedding dress and said, Absolutely nothing. Well, while the gods may not have said anything, the simple truth is, is up in Asgard there are human servants. And occasionally some of those human servants get back down to Midgard. And who knows, maybe over a horn of mead in some hall, one told another. And that story became the Lay of Thrym, and it was written by Snorri Sturluson in the 13th century. And that story eventually came to me, who told it to you. And thus, you have just shared a story that is hundreds of years old, just like our ancestors told so many years ago. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Jennifer Armstrong at jenniferarmstrong.com and True Thomas at truethomas.com. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. The year is still quite new, but times are still strange for performing artists and art is still needed more than ever. So many storytellers are doing online events, so you, yes, you can see and hear some of your favorite storytellers of the podcast tell stories from the comfort of your home. These may be different times, but the opportunities to connect with the magic of live storytelling are abundant. 
Go find your favorite tellers on the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home. You can connect with the podcast and Rachel Ann or on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. And you can find me at isabelhauser.com. You can see the delightful fairy tale sponsor ads on the Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook page. And while you are there, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was my true love for snowdrops. And if you have any in your surroundings, do send me pictures. The music is by Poddington Bear, and this podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door and there on the doorstep wrapped in his own blanket was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal.